Chapter 9, Part 1 of Celebrated Crimes, Volume 3, Mary Stewart. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Dorothy Godfrey Smith. Celebrated Crimes, Volume 3, Mary Stewart, by Alexandre Dumas. Chapter 9, Part 1 Queen Mary had known the decree of the commissioners these two months. The very day it had been pronounced, she had learned the news through her chaplain, whom they had allowed her to see this once only. Mary Stuart had taken advantage of this visit to give him three letters she had just written, one for Pope Sixtus V, the other to Don Bernard Mendoza, the third to the Duke of Guise. Here is that last letter. 14th December, 1586. My good cousin, whom I hold dearest in the world, I bid you farewell, being prepared to be put to death by an unjust judgment, and to a death such as no one of our race thanks to God, and never a queen, and still less one of my rank, has ever suffered. But, good cousin, praise the Lord, for I was useless to the cause of God and of his church in this world, prisoner as I was, while on the contrary, I hope that my death will bear witness to my constancy in the faith and to my willingness to suffer for the maintenance and the restoration of the Catholic Church in this unfortunate island. And though never has executioner dipped his hand in our blood, have no shame of it, my friend. For the judgment of heretics who have no authority over me, a free queen, is profitable in the sight of God to the children of his church. If I adhered, moreover, to what they proposed to me, I should not suffer this stroke. All of our house have been persecuted by this sect, Witness your good father, through whose intercession I hope to be received with mercy by the just judge. I commend to you then my poor servants, the discharge of my debts, and the founding of some annual mass for my soul, not at your expense, but that you may make the arrangements as you will be required when you learn my wishes through my poor and faithful servants who are about to witness my last tragedy. God prosper you, your wife, children, brothers and cousins, and above all our chief, my good brother and cousin, and all his. The blessing of God, and that which I shall give to my children, be on yours, whom I do not commend less to God than my own son, unfortunate and ill-treated as he is. You will receive some rings from me, which will remind you to pray God for the soul of your poor cousin, deprived of all help and counsel except that of the Lord, who gives me strength and courage to alone to resist so many wolves howling after me. To God be the glory. Believe particularly what will be told you by a person who will give you a ruby ring from me. For I take it on my conscience that the truth will be told you of what I have charged him to tell, 
and especially in what concerns my poor servants and the share of any. I commend this person to you for his simple sincerity and honesty, that he may be placed in some good place. I have chosen him as the least partial and as the one who will most simply bring you my commands. Ignore, I beg you, that he told you anything in particular, for envy might injure him. I have suffered a great deal for two years and more, and have not been able to let you know for an important reason. God be praised for all, and give you grace to persevere in the service of his church as long as you live, and never may this honor pass from our race, while so many men and women are ready to shed their blood to maintain the fight for the faith, all other worldly considerations set aside. And as to me, I esteem myself born on both father's and mother's sides, that I should offer up my blood for this cause, and I have no intention of degenerating. Jesus, crucified for us, and all the holy martyrs, make us by their intercession worthy of the voluntary offering we make of our bodies to their glory. From Father Ringay, this Thursday, 24th November. They have, thinking to degrade me, pulled down my canopy of state, and since then my keeper has come to offer to write to their queen, saying this deed was not done by his order, but by the advice of some of the council. I have shown them, instead of my arms on the said canopy, the cross of our Lord. You will hear all this. They have been more gentle since. Your affectionate cousin and perfect friend, Mary, Queen of Scotland, Dowager of France. From this day forward, when she learned the sentence delivered by the commissioners, Mary Stuart no longer preserved any hope. For as she knew Elizabeth's pardon was required to save her, she looked upon herself thenceforward as lost, and only concerned herself with preparing to die well. Indeed, as it had happened to her sometimes, from the cold and damp in her prisons to become crippled for some time in all her limbs, she was afraid of being so when they would come to take her, which would prevent her going resolutely to the scaffold, as she was counting on doing. So, on Saturday the 14th February, she sent for her doctor, Bourguin, and asked him, moved by a presentiment that her death was at hand, she said, what she must do to prevent the return of the pains which crippled her. He replied that it would be good for her to medicine herself with fresh herbs. Go then, said the queen, and ask Sir Amias Paulette from me permission to seek them in the fields. Bourguin went to Sir Amias, who, as he himself was troubled with sciatica, should have understood better than anyone the need of the remedies for which the queen asked. But this request, simple as it was, raised great difficulties. Sir Amias replied that he could do nothing without referring to his companion Drury, but that paper and ink might be brought, and that he, Master Bourguin, could then make a list of the needful plants, which they would try to procure. 
Bourguin answered that he did not know English well enough, and that the village apothecaries did not know enough Latin for him to risk the queen's life for some error by himself or others. Finally, after a thousand hesitations, Paulette allowed Bourguin to go out, which he did, accompanied by the apothecary Gorjon, so that the following day the queen was able to begin to doctor herself. Mary Stewart's presentiments had not deceived her. Tuesday, February 17th, at about two o'clock in the afternoon, the earls of Kent and Shrewsbury and Beale sent word to the queen that they desired to speak with her. The queen answered that she was ill and in bed, but that if notwithstanding what they had to tell her was a matter of importance and they would give her a little time, she would get up. They made answer that the communication they had to make admitted of no delay, that they begged her then to make ready, which the queen immediately did, and rising from her bed and cloaking herself, she went and seated herself at a little table on the same spot where she was wont to be great part of the day. Then the two earls, accompanied by Beale, Amias Pole, and Drew Drury, entered. Behind them, drawn by curiosity, full of terrible anxiety, came her dearest ladies and most cherished servants. These were, of womankind, the Misses René de Rilly, Gilles Mowbray, Jean Kennedy, Elspeth Curl, Mary Paget, and Susan Kirkady, and of mankind, Dominique Bourguin, her doctor, Pierre Gorjon, her apothecary, Jacques Gervais, her surgeon, Annibal Stewart, her footman, Dither Siflart, her butler, Jean Lauder, her baker, and Martin Huet, her carver. Then the Earl of Shrewsbury, with head bared like all those present who remained thus as long as they were in the Queen's room, began to say in English, addressing Mary, Madam, the Queen of England, my august mistress, has sent me to you with the Earl of Kent and Sir Robert Beale here present to make known to you that after having honorably proceeded in the inquiry into the deed of which you are accused and found guilty, an inquiry which has already been submitted to your grace by Lord Buckhurst, and having delayed as long as it was in her power the execution of the sentence, she can no longer withstand the importunity of her subjects who press her to carry it out. So great and loving is their fear for her. For this purpose, we have come the bearers of a commission, and we beg very humbly, madam, that it may please you to hear it read. Read, my lord, I am listening, replied Mary Stuart with the greatest calmness. Then... Robert Beale unrolled the said commission, which was on parchment, sealed with the great seal in yellow wax, and read as follows. Elizabeth, by the grace of God, Queen of England, France, and Ireland, etc., to our beloved and faithful cousins, George, Earl of Shrewsbury, Grand Marshal of England, Henry, Earl of Kent, Henry, Earl of Derby, George, Earl of Cumberland, Henry, Earl of Pembroke, greeting. The Earls of Cumberland, Derby, and Pembroke did not attend to the Queen's orders, 
and were present neither at the reading of the sentence nor at the execution. Considering the sentence by us given, and others of our council, nobility and judges, against the former Queen of Scotland, bearing the name of Mary, daughter and heiress of James V, King of Scotland, commonly called Queen of Scotland and Dowager of France, which sentence all the estates of our realm in our last Parliament assembled, not only concluded, but, after mature deliberation, ratified as being just and reasonable, considering also the urgent prayer and request of our subjects, begging us and pressing us to proceed to the publication thereof, and to carry it into execution against her person, according as they judge it duly merited, adding in this place that her detention was and would be daily a certain and evident danger, not only to our life, but also to themselves and their posterity, and to the public weal of this realm, as much on account of the gospel and the true religion of Christ, as of the peace and tranquility of this state. Although the said sentence has been frequently delayed, so that even until this time we abstained from issuing the commission to execute it, yet, for the complete satisfaction of the said demands made by the estates of our Parliament, through which daily we hear that all our friends and subjects, as well as the nobility, the wisest, greatest, and most pious, nay, even those of inferior condition, with all humility and affection from the care they have of our life, and consequently from the fear they have of the destruction of the present divine and happy state of the realm if we spare the final execution, consenting and desiring the said execution, though the general and continual demands, prayers, counsels, and advice wherein such things contrary to our natural inclination, yet being convinced of the urgent weight of their continual intercessions tending to the safety of our person, and also to the public and private state of our realm, we have at last consented and suffered that justice have its course, and for its execution, considering the singular confidence we have in your fidelity and loyalty together for the love and affection that you have toward us, particularly to the safeguarding of our person and our country, of which you are very noble and chief members, we summon, and for the discharge of it we enjoin you, that at sight of these presents you go to the castle of Fotheringay, where the former Queen of Scotland is, in the care of our friend and faithful servant and counsellor, Sir Amias Paulet, and there take into your keeping and do that by your command execution be done on her person, in the presence of yourselves and the said Sir Amias Paulet, and of all the other officers of justice whom you command to be there. In the meantime, we have for this end and this execution given warrant in such a way and manner, and in such a time and place, and by such persons, that you five, four, three, or two, 
find expedient in your discretion. Notwithstanding all laws, statutes, and ordinances whatsoever contrary to these presents, sealed with our great seal of England, which will serve for each of you and all those who are present, or will make by your order anything pertaining to the execution aforesaid full and sufficient discharge forever. Done and given in our house at Greenwich, the first day of February, 10th February New Style, in the 29th year of our reign. Mary listened to this reading with great calmness and great dignity. Then, when it was ended, making the sign of the cross. Welcome, said she, to all news which comes in the name of God. Thanks, Lord, for that you deign to put an end to all the ills you have seen me suffer for nineteen years and more. Madam, said the Earl of Kent, have no ill will towards us on account of your death. It was necessary to the peace of the state and the progress of the new religion. So, cried Mary with delight, so I shall have the happiness of dying for the faith of my fathers. Thus God deigns to grant me the glory of martyrdom. Thanks, God, added she, joining her hands with less excitement but with more piety. Thanks, that you have deigned to destine for me such an end, of which I was not worthy. That, O oh my God, is indeed a proof of your love, and an assurance that you will receive me in the number of your servants. For although this sentence had been notified to me, I was afraid, from the manner in which they have dealt with me for nineteen years, of not yet being so near as I am to such a happy end thinking that your queen would not dare to lay a hand on me, who by the grace of God am a queen as she is, the daughter of a queen as she is, crowned as she is, her near relative, granddaughter of King Henry VII, and who has had the honor of being queen of France, of which I am still dowager. And this fear was so much the greater added she, laying her hand on a New Testament which was near her on the little table, that I swear on this holy book I have never attempted, consented to, or even desired the death of my sister, the Queen of England. Madam, replied the Earl of Kent, taking a step towards her and pointing to the New Testament, this book on which you have sworn is not genuine, since it is the papist version. Consequently, your oath cannot be considered as any more genuine than the book on which it has been taken. My lord, answered the queen, what you say may befit you, but not me, who well know that this book is the true and faithful version of the word of the Lord, a version made by a very wise divine, a very good man, and approved by the church. Madam, the Earl of Kent returned, your grace stopped at what you were taught in your youth, without inquiry as to whether it was good or bad. It is not surprising, then, that you have remained in your error for want of having heard anyone who could make known the truth to you. This is why, as your grace has but a few hours longer to remain in this world, and consequently has no time to lose, with your permission, 
we shall send for the dean of Peterborough, the most learned man there is on the subject of religion, who, with his word, will prepare you for your salvation, which you risk to our great grief and that of our august queen, by all the papistical follies, abominations, and childish nonsense which keep Catholics away from the holy word of God and the knowledge of truth. You mistake, my lord, replied the queen gently, if you have believed that I have grown up careless in the faith of my fathers, and without seriously occupying myself with a matter so important as religion. I have, on the contrary, spent my life with learned and wise men who taught me what one must learn on this subject, and I have sustained myself by reading their works, since the means of hearing them has been taken from me. Besides, never having doubted in my lifetime, doubt is not likely to seize me in my death hour. And there is the Earl of Shrewsbury, here present, who will tell you that since my arrival in England I have, for an entire Lent, of which I repent, heard your wisest doctors without their arguments having made any impression on my mind. It will be useless then, my lord, she added smiling, to summon to one so hardened as I, the Dean of Peterborough, learned as he is. The only thing I ask you in exchange, my lord, and for which I shall be grateful to you beyond expression, is that you will send me my almoner, whom you keep shut up in this house, to console me and prepare me for death, or, in his stead, another priest, be he who he may. If only a poor priest from a poor village, I being no harder to please than God, and not asking that he have knowledge, provided that he has faith. It is with regret, madam, replied the Earl of Kent, that I find myself obliged to refuse your grace's request. But it would be contrary to our religion and our conscience, and we should be culpable in doing it. This is why we again offer you the venerable Dean of Peterborough, certain that your grace will find more consolation and content in him than in any bishop, priest, or vicar of the Catholic faith. Thank you, my lord, said the queen again, but I have nothing to do with him, and as I have a conscience free of the crime for which I am about to die, with God's help martyrdom will take the place of confession for me. And now I will remind you, my lord, of what you told me yourself, that I have but a few hours to live, and these few hours to profit me should be passed in prayer and meditation, and not in idle disputes. End of chapter 9, part 1. Recording by Dorothy Godfrey Smith.